0: Good evening, lords and ladies. My name is Jared, and today we are going to bring you an all-new podcast called The Console Kingdom. I am here with Dan. Hey, what's up, everybody? And we are a show that likes to talk about the past, present, and future of video games with a bit of flavor mixed in. So, today's episode is actually going to be quite fun. Um, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Dan, I know you have as well. Um, This is going to be a fun show. I'm very looking forward to this. We today are going to debate on the greatest console of all time.
1: Yes, lords, ladies, and loyal subjects of the console kingdom, welcome. Welcome, Jared and I. We uh, combined have over like 50 years of experience playing video games. I've been playing games since the NES. I think the same is true for Jared as well. And you know, we're both dads with families, and we're here to have a good time, have a few laughs, and talk about the greatest console of all time. And I think, Jared, it's going to be a short conversation because obviously, obviously the greatest console of all time must be the Nintendo 64, right?
0: Right. I mean, I mean, oh, I, I, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely within the the realm of possibilities if uh, if we're in Bizarro world. I don't know if you've noticed, I'm wearing my Superman shirt, so I had to throw that reference in there. Look, the Nintendo sixty four is garbage, okay? And I don't care if you throw me all kinds of shade. I don't care if you throw me all kinds of hate. You're talking about a console that injured people a controller that was so baffling that you just scratch your head and say how in the world am i supposed to use this thing i I, I mean maybe six good games on the entire console and you're saying that's the best ever (laughs) well i'll tell you why oh tell me about it there's a
1: couple of reasons a couple of really great reasons why the nintendo 64 was so great so first the most important thing is it addressed a very uncommon handicap Now, those of us who maybe when we were kids, you know, played too close to the nuclear reactor and grew that third arm out of our abdomens, finally had a controller that was built for us. You know, that segment of the population with that additional appendage really benefited from that controller. And not only that, Jared, but most importantly, okay, most importantly, especially today, and I think we can all appreciate this, especially today, we are. Overburdened by choices, you turn on Netflix and there's like four hundred thousand different things to watch.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: You go to play PlayStation, or there's there's tens of thousands of excellent games to choose from. Both Nintendo sixty four. Well, and you got
0: Game Pass. Yeah, Game Pass on Xbox. Man, you could spend all day trying to figure out what the best to play is. With the Nintendo sixty four, just roll a die. You know, number one
1: is uh Golden Number two is Shadows of the Empire. You know, number three is uh, whatever the third good game is, etc. Because that's the only two I could think of. Star Fox. There we go. Star Fox sixty four was the third one. And, Star Fox uh, sixty four and you know, whatever, yep. whatever number. Just play that one, and then and there and there you go. And no, no burden. No, you're not burdened by too many choices.
0: No, and you know, it, it, not to mention the fact that, you know, it had to have add-ons just to have a rumble feature breaking ground there.
1: You know, we got to talk a little bit about the controller and like how bad the timing was, because I think I, re- I remember reading somewhere that Miyamoto developed and designed that controller um, specifically just for Super Mario 64. So he didn't think of like how that would work for any other game or any other type of game. He only thought about just Mario 64. And now, if you've ever played like one of the modern uh, remakes of Mario 64, or if you played on an emulator, you probably already know this, but uh, two sticks is a million times better than four tiny buttons. Yeah, absolutely. Fighting with the camera. On any 3D game on that system, is such a headache. I played the, the one Castlevania game for a video on my YouTube channel, and it was just a miserable experience. Miserable experience. Uh, I mean, I, uh, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I know I know some people grew up with this thing, and they like it. Maybe they have nostalgia attached to it, but there's no real redeeming qualities here. You know, the controller makes no sense for most of the games. Uh, most of the games, you know, aren't even that good, because I think... We all know the story about how the Nintendo 64 basically didn't have anywhere near as many people making games for it, anywhere near as many third-party developers making games for it, because Sony was cutting a much better deal. So rather than develop for Nintendo and buy this incredibly expensive dev kit, and then have Nintendo control every like penny and nickel and dime that was coming their way as a result of the game that you created and, and got out there... Uh, You know they were getting a much better deal developing for Sony. They were making more money developing for Sony. They didn't have to buy an expensive dev kit. They didn't have to buy cartridge shells directly from uh, Nintendo. They actually had a third party, multiple third parties, that you could purchase
0: the blank CD media from. So, yeah, and it was a big problem. And I was going to say, and yeah, it was a big problem. And I was going to say, let's not forget, let's not forget that yes, GoldenEye was a great multiplayer game it it probably had the best multiplayer it it best multiplayer on the console it really really did it did go next level and it actually was better than it deserved to be but going back a minute i'm believing you played castlevania 64 if i'm not mistaken is that the one with the uh level with the nitro and the uh, the nitro powder or whatever and you take one step in the wrong direction and you blow up and die immediately
1: i couldn't even tell you because i don't think i even got that far i got to like level two like first of all there's no music like how are you gonna have a castlevania game with no music and just the gameplay was so horrible constantly fighting with the camera the platforming the 3d platforming 3d platforming wasn't really very good at that point so i can't really blame the n64 for that like universally 3D platforming wasn't very good yet. Like, do you remember kind of the earlier 3D games that came out around the time that had platforming? Like, Bubsy 3D and stuff like that. They were all pretty bad.
0: Uh, I don't... Yeah, and I was going to say, with those, I remember on other pla- like other platforms even, I remember playing Spyro and Crash Bandicoot, and they are some of the best games that the PlayStation had to offer as, like, you know, exclusives to Sony at that point. And even then, some of the jumping, uh, when you're trying to glide as Spyro and Crash, you you think, oh, I should have made that jump, and you didn't. And it it wasn't perfected at that time period in history. I
1: think think the DualShock was a big part of that, because once the DualShock came out and we had the two analog sticks and you had the right stick to control the camera with, I think that really is what made it possible for 3D games, 3D action games, and 3D platformers to really start, you know, coming into their own. So if we go back to Castlevania for a second, and then you look at, like, the PS2, the Castlevania games on the PS2 have way better controls, way better platforming. Um, I know they're not incredibly popular games, but they're definitely a much better experience than Castlevania 64 was. I love those games. I oh, was, they should be. I was a little disappointed with those games because they weren't Symphony of the Night Part Two, which is what I wanted them to be. <laughs> but right. But it is what it is. So, obviously, but
0: I, I, okay. I was going to say I would argue. I was going to say I would definitely argue that all day long. I loved Lament of Innocence and I loved Curse of Darkness. I've Two incredible, incredible PlayStation Two games, and I wish, wish wish that konami would update them to do a hd remaster all oh, that would be beautiful
1: so you know i mean i've shown my bias a little bit here i'm a huge fan of uh, of castlevania obviously and clearly leaning toward the the playstation end of things and in that generation that's what i had you know i i had the playstation i had the ps2 and i jumped ship to the ps the playstation rather uh because of one really important uh game but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to come back to that. But before I do, before we talk about the game that made me change from Nintendo to, to Sony, I want to throw a few numbers out there, Jared. Because I know we, we did a little research about this stuff, and we, we wanted to look at some numbers. Now, obviously, we got our kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know, discussion about the N64 out of the way. And look if if you're listening and you like the N64 feel free to come to our social medias come see us on Twitter Facebook and and all those things Discord whatever and you can tell us about you know your memories of the N64 and your feelings about it and maybe you can give us something you know some some nice pros to the N64 that maybe we've missed but i don't think there absolutely. are any absolutely i don't there are any but if anyone can come up with some, i would love to hear them and then tell you why you're wrong but uh moving along so the N64 30, 33 million Right, they sold 33 million N64s. Now the N64 was up against what the PlayStation and kind of a little bit later the Saturn, right? So as the PlayStation and the Saturn, the Saturn's not really I think even in the conversation, right? Because Saturn was kind of it was like the beginning of the end for Sega at that point. Would you would you say so, Jared?
0: absolutely i mean and you know we had a conversation before about um sega consoles and you know at that point in time um the saturn the dreamcast it was it was just all downhill uh from sega in that aspect of actually making consoles and producing content that way but that's another conversation for another time
1: Yeah, it was kind of the beginning of the end for Sega there. They only sold about nine and a quarter million units of Saturn. So they sold fewer than 10 million Saturns. Nintendo sold sold 33 million N64s, which is a pretty decent number. And then the Sony PlayStation, uh, they sold 102 million units. So we're talking about a three to one over the N64. So looking at the numbers strictly, I mean, the PlayStation is already a much better, at least much more better selling console than the N64. And I think I could pretty safely say it's it's a better console overall because of the games that, that we had on that. And the game that made me choose the PlayStation over the N64, I know some of you with our conversation before think I'm going to say Symphony of the Night, but I'm not. I'm going to say Final Fantasy VII. I have always been a huge Final Fantasy fan ever since the first one on the NES. Which Mm -hmm. today is like a chore to play, but I still love it. I played all these games before they were ever released in the US. Not 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 all of them, but like two and three and the ones that weren't released here till later, like I played fan translations of those. Huge fan. So for me, I couldn't go and go I couldn't stay loyal to Nintendo as much as I was a Nintendo kid to, to, to the very core of my soul (laughs) i couldn't stay with nintendo when that when that change happened because final fantasy was going to come out on the playstation and i had to go with where final fantasy was
0: you know i wanted to bring up something rather important here and this is um something i wanted to discuss and actually i feel like it fits well here about nintendo as a company as a whole um Okay, so you and I both grew up playing Nintendo consoles, right? I mean, we we were very familiar with the NES. We were very familiar with the Super Nintendo. But then Nintendo came out with the Nintendo 64. And, you know, we've already talked about that. After the Nintendo 64, they had the GameCube, which, sadly, I wish they would have developed more games for, because the GameCube is actually... Extremely underrated in my opinion, but then after that, bafflingly, like Nintendo just—I—I I don't know what happened. I—I I can't put my finger on it. Yes, the Wii sold really well, but it was because of a gimmick, not because of the console itself. Um, the gimmick of the console was the motion controls. You know, the Wii Sports was basically the biggest selling point for the Wii, but. During that time frame, it did not have HD, which was really baffling. And then on top of that, they decided, okay, we're going to release the Wii U to counter that. Well, everybody had a Wii, so what's the point of having a Wii U? Oh, it's just got a touchpad and HD graphics, and it's going to cost me this much money to get HD? Yeah, kind of not worth it. And then the Switch came out, and the Switch is actually a pretty good console, except Here we are in 2022, spring of 2022, mind you, and they haven't even updated the Switch yet at all. Like, it's just not there. And I think, I'm not saying that the Nintendo 64 was the beginning of the end for Nintendo, but it definitely put them in third place. And the numbers probably don't necessarily back that up. But let's be frank, I hear more people arguing, arguing daily on Xbox versus Sony and hardly anybody talking about, oh, you know, I'm pretty excited for this Switch game to come out.
1: Yeah, you know, it's not really in the conversation. And I think that has a lot to do with that lineage going back to the N64 when things changed so much because We had a new sheriff in town. We had a new player in the game. Now, for those unfamiliar, I think most of us probably know this story by now. But for those unfamiliar, Sony was originally chosen to develop the the CD add-on for the Super Nintendo. And now, as far as the real details of exactly what happened, I'm not too sure about everything. But I do know that for some reason, for some reason, Nintendo chose to instead give that to Philips without... um, the people in charge of the decision discussing that. No one called up Sony and said, listen, we are going another way. That that conversation never happened. Instead, they just announced that CDI was gonna be doing it. And, uh, rather, I'm sorry, Philips is gonna be doing it instead. And then Sony already had been working on this prototype of this CD add-on for the Super Nintendo, which by the way, a CD add-on for the Super Nintendo would have been
0: amazing absolutely
1: i mean the rpg library alone would have been amazing but anyway moving along with that they already had this prototype out there and uh you know they spent all this money and the decision was made let's just launch it let's launch it as its own standalone video game unit and in order to make sure that that was a success they made it cheaper for the third-party developers to develop for it nintendo has always had like a stranglehold on i think it's changed a little bit now because they can't do it anymore but during those days like up until the n64 they had a stranglehold on third-party developers like they got the lion share of the money for any third-party game that was published for the uh, for the nes they had to buy the cartridge shells directly from nintendo they couldn't buy them from a third party there were a lot of uh, a lot of other things that that um, a lot of other details involved in all the cost of developing for Nintendo, that eventually really bit them in the ass.
0: Yeah, and Dan, I, I'm gonna take a quick sidetrack here. Hop in the Delorean, okay? Hit eighty-eight miles an hour, and flash mm-hmm. forward to the year two thousand eighteen, because. When you were discussing the whole Sony uh, CD add-on for the Super Nintendo and Nintendo kind of pulling the rug, it made me think of a possible conspiracy theory in the year 2018. Right. <laughs> in the year 2018, we're gonna we're gonna take a trip to the, to E three 2018. Nintendo flashes during their presentation a number four on the screen, and we all knew what that meant. At least us Metroid fans did. Metroid Prime 4. And the more we learned about this game, the more we learned it was not Retro Studios, which did Metroid Prime, Prime 2, and Prime 3. No, it was being developed by Bandai Namco. Now, here's the thing about that, though. For whatever reason, for whatever reason, Nintendo did not like what that company was doing and went back to Retro. Now here is what got my mind spinning. I have to wonder, what if Nintendo pulled the same old trick, the same old time, and just took the, the demo or whatever bond I had and went to Retro and said, Hey, you're doing this now. And here we are in 2022, still waiting for Metroid Prime 4.
1: See, now the question I would ask would, would be, what has Bandai Namco released or what is Bandai Namco releasing that would make you think that they had or actually no, not Bandai Namco, right? Uh, yeah. What is, what are they releasing or what have they released or what have they announced that would lead us to believe that there was some skeleton of a Metroid game that they still had, right? Because we're talking about Sony had the skeleton of the CD add-on. And they released their own console. Is Bandai Namco working on, has worked on, or is going to release something very Metroid-like? Or Metroid Prime-like?
0: That's a very good question. And it it's something I have to research. But, you know, it's just a little bit of a headcanon. Little, uh, little theory. Let's hop back in that DeLorean and go back to the <laughs> Sony PlayStation.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, uh, what I, the point I was driving at is, obviously, I mean, the, the Sony PlayStation outsold the, the uh, Nintendo 64 by by a tremendous number of units. They had a lot more games and a lot better games. And uh, I think part of that, too, is is how old we are versus how old, you know, somebody who, who maybe grew up with the N64 was. Because we were a little older. Uh, you know, we were teenagers when the PlayStation came out, basically. Somebody who is a little younger than we are might have preferred the N64 because we were playing Resident Evil uh and maybe the sort of games that the mom and dad of an eight or nine year old kid might not really like you know they had a lot of games like, like there was definitely a huge change in terms of uh the family friendly sort of yes uh, image right nintendo yes. still had that very family friendly image it, it was starting to shake up a little bit because they had doom and they had mortal Kombat two and three but uh and doom troopers my god doom troopers was a violent game i love i love i i don't it's a terrible game, but it's also fantastic. Um, <laughs> we can talk about that another time. It's just it's the game's bad. The controls are bad, but just the fact that you can like shoot at a guy hanging from a tree and his head will like stay in the tree and his body falls down. It's just there's just something amazing about a 16-bit uh, game that is just that gory and and it was on the Super Nintendo. But anyway, right. I digress. <laughs> So the games were kind of maturing with us a little bit, you know, and they wind up with, like, our Grand Theft Autos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you know, we had the Final Fantasy franchise. We had the Resident Evil franchise, Castlevania, Street Fighter, Tekken, so many huge franchises and huge games, Tomb Raider, Metal Gear Solid. I mean, the list goes on and on of the games that were on the PlayStation, and, and the Nintendo 64 just didn't have that library. Later on, they started getting
0: some of them sort of... Well, and... <clears throat> And, you know, that just brought to mind, too, because um, <clears throat> we were talking about crossovers and how Final Fantasy went. You know, Mega Man 8 was released on um, PlayStation. Mega Man X3 was on PlayStation. X4 was yeah. on PlayStation. Um, Mega Man Legends, I would dare argue that it is absolutely better on the PlayStation than it was on the Nintendo 64. Um And how interesting that Capcom was with Nintendo for a lot of the classic Mega Man's and then Mega Man jumped with Sony and not exclusively with Sony, but they did deal with Sony.
1: Yeah, they did eventually. I think I think Mega Man 8 did come out on the N64, didn't it? Because I remember seeing a comparison and I can give the N64 this much credit that it did have smoother, uh, smoother. um, What was it? Pixel shading, I think. Their their models looked smoother, like it had better anti-aliasing or something. So it was a little bit faster processor, and it was able to make things look nicer and look smoother. Uh, and of course, you know, you didn't have to worry about the load times. So they stuck with the cartridge yeah. media, even though the rest of the world was over cartridges completely. They stuck with the cartridge media while the rest of us were, you know, or I should say, the rest of the world was going to CDs, and there was now full motion video, and there was CD quality audio on these CDs, it had, you know, 700 megabytes of storage space. And then you had these cartridges with with about 24 megabytes of storage space where you couldn't do all those things. So there was a really big difference in terms of what you were capable of creating on that media. And, of course, you know, getting a little slightly technical, a cartridge is basically just a flash card. You know, you stick it in and it's solid state. It reads immediately. There's no loading. Nothing has to ever load. With a CD, everything on the CD has to be loaded into memory. So especially if you have a slower read speed, it takes a long time. Uh, yeah. Today with emulation, we can we can speed up that CD read speed, but you couldn't do it back then.
0: So and so maybe, maybe was, one,
1: one little feather in the cap of the N64 there, one little tiny
0: one. Yeah, and that was a discussion that we had um, kind of a little off topic, but that was a discussion we had the other day about... Um, Final Fantasy 6 on the PlayStation and its load times.
1: Incredible game, but I mean, those those Final Fantasy re-releases on the PlayStation were really hard to play because of those load times. It just took absolutely forever. And these were 16-bit games. It shouldn't have taken that long to load them. But it was just the nature of the beast at the time. So we talked about so we talked about uh, about um, you know the PlayStation outsold the N sixty four three to one and the lineage on the on the Nintendo side I mean GameCube like you said probably an underrated console because I think a lot of the audience at that point had gone to Sony yeah Sega still had a small audience I think and then you know the Wii sort of brought the audience back but Nintendo basically became kind of a niche right like Nintendo's first party titles are some of the best games out there. And that'll probably always be the case because their first-party titles are always excellent. You know, I think uh, Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild and Metroid Dread are all incredible games. And I think if you were to sit down and think, "Oh, what are the best games on the Wii, on the Wii U?" You know, it you're you're going to be you're only going to be saying those first-party Nintendo titles for most of the time. I don't think there's that many third-party titles on any of those consoles that were really all that great. But Mario Party, Mario Kart. You know Mario, Zelda, uh, Kirby, Metroid. You know all those first-party titles. Pokemon. Those are the big things that kind of kept Nintendo uh, relevant. You know while they were number solid solid number three in the console wars. Yeah, and I I think they're almost I think they're almost happy there. Like it seems like there's very little ambition from Nintendo to try and climb in the console market. I think they found the niche, and, and I think they're happy there. You know, yeah. everyone's making money. They're making a living. The company is doing well and they'll let the, they'll let the big guys duke it out and buy up every third party studio in the world to try to compete with each other in terms of uh, what licenses they own. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> and how many games they can develop. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, the, I was just going to say too, I mean, yeah, obviously they're making money. Nintendo never has sales and most of their games are still fifty nine ninety nine just saying
1: you know I, I'm, I'm getting worried about these game prices man games are coming up now oh, games are launching out with like 80 bucks now
0: are they like
1: I, I, I almost I almost never buy new games because I don't want to spend that much money on a game it's a lot of money and uh, at what point do you price yourself out of business Right, because we have like eight, the games are eighty bucks, and there's DLC that's not included in that eighty dollar price. Like at what at what point do games become so expensive that people stop buying them?
0: Right, right. You know, and that's uh, something really actually interesting um, that you had mentioned there is is the pricing too. Because I just thought about the last game I purchased was um, Soul Calibur Six, and that game came out in 2018, and I somehow caught it on sale and got it for like 18.99 with all the DLC, battle pass, all that kind of stuff, whatever nice. it had. If I would have waited 4 more days, it would have gone right back up to 59.99. And I mean, honestly, I don't know about most people, but the way things are right now, I just can't see people being able to afford extras like $60 games on a continual basis. It just I, I don't know, you know?
1: Oh, fighting games are the worst. Fighting games are the absolute worst because they have made DLC mandatory to the point where half the roster is DLC. And fighting games are also highly competitive and you have to lab. And you can't lab a character that you don't have. So you have to buy the DLC or else you're going to get bodied every time you try to play online. Yeah. And now I'm terrible at, like, I, I love fighting I'm terrible at them. I love them, but I'm really, really bad at them. But um, like Tekken, I love Tekken, and I had to have all the characters. I had to have all the DLC because I wanted to be able to lab every character, and you know, be less bad at it. Uh, and but they but they have to do that because video games now are so expensive to produce. They cost more. It costs more now to produce like a triple A game than just it does to produce a Hollywood movie. Not obviously necessary. Like obviously, you know. Like Justice League costs more to produce than, you know, like Tekken. But in general, games are starting to cost more to produce than a Hollywood movie. That's ridiculous. And
0: what's interesting about that, too, is I'm glad you brought up AAA games because um, I've polled a few of my friends and even some family members. And the, the results are actually quite interesting that uh, most of my family members and friends prefer indie titles over AAA games because AAA games are becoming so much of the same thing over and over and over again. Yes. Whereas these indie titles are absolutely gorgeous and beautiful and just amazing. And it's like two guys sitting in a basement making this incredible piece of art and that people fall in love with. I mean, Undertale, I can't imagine, cost more than, you know, a couple grand, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, I'm not sure how much their Kickstarter was, honestly. Um, I don't know how much it really cost to do that. But Undertale blew up like crazy. And that was an indie game. And I would say at the yeah, time, it, of... it, at the time, it was one of the best games of that yeah. year.
1: yeah and i think that's a lot more like what games used to be like like when we were kids you know you look back at like nintendo nes games and you look at the credits and there's like six people yeah that made these games now you've got now you've got entire teams of hundreds of people working on a single game like games are getting so big that they like outsource to third-party companies like in final fantasy 15 for example they outsourced the creation of so many of the of the 3d character models like most of those monsters were created by like some this random third party Chinese company that does 3D graphics. They weren't even created by by Square Enix. They were created by some
0: company in China and put into the game. Yeah. And I and I would say too. and
1: that's how big these games
0: are. Oh, be. yeah, absolutely. I was going to say um, if you ever beat Doom Eternal, um, it, you, mm-hmm. it, the credits, the ending credits, thankfully, you can hold the A button to skip. Because no, I'm serious. It's about at least a good five minutes, if not longer than that. And that's just—and
1: I think that's the trap that like credits. Yeah, I think the trap that like pretty much any uh, any medium goes through, right? Like any kind of art form or medium goes through. The more it's a product, and the bigger that product is, and the more money that product starts to generate, the more important it becomes to continue producing a consistent product. So you wind up getting a lot of the same over and over again because people keep buying a lot of the same over and over again. So now you fall into that trap. What are they going to spend $20 million on? Are they going to spend $20 million making a game that they don't know whether people are going to want to buy it? Or are they going to spend $20 million making a game that's exactly like what sold hundred thousand million billion copies last year? Well. Which is why we have our annual, we had our annual Assassin's Creed game for a while. It's why we have Call of Duty, this and that and the other, and Modern Warfare, and all these games that are the same exact game year after year after year after year.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I was going to say a very good modern example, like very current modern example of that. Um, what you're describing is the Lego Star Wars series. Um, you have Lego Star Wars, the complete saga, and then you have Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga. And they're pretty much the same game, I mean, in general, but uh, people went nuts over Skywalker saga, saga the Skywalker saga. And, oh, but those are delicious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, that's what I'm saying. Those are delightful. That's what I'm saying, though. It's that's what's interesting to note is that it's pretty much the same game, but people are eating it up.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and don't want us to take a risk on, uh, you know, spending a whole lot of money on something, have it not be a success. And I think the these games being so expensive to produce is also what's driving the market toward that sort of software as a service model, where now it's going to be more and more about the game pass and the playstation plus and all those kinds of services because those are services that are going to allow people allow players to play many games many many games for a monthly flat fee and never have to actually purchase them you know it makes it's it's a better pricing model for the publishers they wind up making more money that way and consumers spend less money uh, and it's kind of, it's kind of a win for everybody except for people who might, you know, prefer to have a copy of the game in their collection.
0: That brings up a very interesting thought that I had. Do you remember mid nineties, late nineties, when cell phones started become popular, becoming popular and you had to wait till seven, eight, 9 PM at night to make free calls or, um, you had to pay ten cents per text message, and you remember how revolutionary it was when they introduced later on in the mid two thousands the simply unlimited plan, where you played where you paid a flat rate and everything was unlimited. You had unlimited data, you had unlimited text, you had unlimited calls, and it's exactly you know what you're saying. You know you got to think about it like that. It's like that's where these companies like. Game Pass, Xbox with its Game Pass, and PS Now for PlayStation are going. You're getting, you know, you're paying that flat fee, and honestly, it's so much more convenient. It is so much more convenient to if I'm, you know, and and you know, it's just kind of sad though too because basically everything's going digital. Everything's going digital. We're not having any copies, physical copies left.
1: A lot of the old heads like us are going to want those physical copies. They want them for the collection. I mean, I don't really mind. I've been buying digital games on Steam for like 14 years at this point. Like, I really don't care that much about having, unless it's a specific game that I really, really want in my collection. Like, I think Final Fantasy VII Remake is a terrible game, but I have it in my collection because Final Fantasy. Like, that's the thing I wanted to have a physical copy of. You know, just certain things like that. But all the stuff we're talking about right now, are reasons why I feel like anything like this this generation and the past two. So going back to like the PS3 and the Xbox, like um, or the Xbox, what was it? The Xbox 360. Yeah. Uh, anything going back that far is out of the conversation of best console of all time because it's like the whole gaming industry has changed so much and it kind of sucks now. All this kind of nonsense that we have to deal with. You know, you, you can't just like buy a game and put yeah. it in and it works. Like you put it like, like you buy, you, you can even buy a brand new game, buy a physical disc, right? You buy a physical disc, you have a brand new game, you put it in your console. And then what happens? What's the first screen you see, Jared, when you put, a, when you put a game
0: disc in your Your queue uh, cause it starts installing on your hard drive.
1: And then once it installs, and then once Updates. it installs,
0: Updates. it needs an update. Yep. And, you know, that um, that brings me to, or brings us anyway, to how do we define what the greatest console of all time is? Now, honestly, we're going to, in my opinion, I can't say that, you know, a lot of these games that are out now um, aren't, weren't completed. Um, in fact, one of the greatest Sonic games ever made, Sonic Mania, uh, was when it released it wasn't completely complete because they patched it and changed an entire boss fight in that game. And there's just so many different things. So, in my opinion, you know, going to probably the PS2 back, because that's the last time I can remember that you bought a disc for the PlayStation, you bought a cart for the Nintendo, whatever, whatever game you had, it was finished complete
1: done you put it in and you can play the game you can play it right away there's no patch there's no day one patch to fix the game that shipped exactly. broken exactly how many of these games ship how many of these games ship incomplete nowadays it's 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 absurd i can't believe how many games ship and the disc needs an update right away to oh, even it's make wild. the game playable it drives me absolutely drives me absolutely batty uh, because they know they can And one of the things that I always uh, I always say, you know, you get the you get the the whole people, the whole argument of like, oh, I like physical games over digital because I want to know that I can just put it in and play, you know, 10 years from now when the servers are offline. But you're not going to be able to just put it in and play 10 years from now when the servers are offline because that day one patch that fixes everything broken about the game isn't going to be there. (laughs) So you're going to have some broken, unplayable mess of a game. You're not even going to have a complete game. Exactly. And that's not not for every game obviously there's you know obviously not not every game is going to be like that but a lot of games are there there are games now that like the game installs and it's like a hundred and something gig those blu-ray discs only hold 50 gig of data so like half of that data has to be downloaded so I mean the, yeah the whole thing the whole thing stinks for us old heads old old guys like us grew up on the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo and the Genesis and all that I, I just want to put a game in and play and I don't want to have to Pay extra for, for like you know little tiny bits of content. Yeah, drives me up a wall. Like we talked about the fighting games before, but the fighting games kind of have to do that because they have to somehow pay for the online component of the games. They keep these games online and they make it possible to play online. You know they have to pay for that somehow. So yes, having regular like monthly DLC packs is basically like a way of getting around charging a subscription.
0: Subscription fee. Yeah.
1: So, like, I kind of get it. I kind of do. I still, I still hate it, <laughs> but like, right. I kind of get it. So, I would say if we're talking about, you know, what's the best console of all time, I think we have to really look at the quality of the games in the game okay. library. And for me, like, for me, definitively, I have to say, you know what? But it's more than that, right? It's more than that. It's the quality of the games in the game library. The performance of the console itself, it has to look and play and feel and sound nice.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, you know, also like the comfort, um, you know, does it have a good controller? Are there good peripherals? Right. So I would say kind of taking all those things into consideration. Personally, I think I know (laughs) that the Super Nintendo is definitively the best console of all time. I'm going to tell you why. Number one, the game library is out of this world. You got Super Mario World. You got Mario Kart, Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger, Secret of Mana, uh, Donkey Kong Country, Street Fighter II, Star Fox, Killer Instinct, Gradius, Super Contra, Super Punch-Out, Super Metroid, one of the greatest games ever made, Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past. I mean, I'm just rattling off the top of my head fantastic must-play games that I think anybody who is an enthusiast who loves video games absolutely has to experience and they are all on the Super Nintendo. And I'm gonna make one really, really big point about the Super Nintendo that I think is really important for anybody who is a a, a huge fan of video games. Every controller design, every controller design, except for Nintendo's own, where they went in a completely different direction, has been based on the layout Mm -hmm. of the Super Nintendo controller. They are the first one to put a D-pad on the left, four buttons yep. on the right, and two shoulder buttons, and a more curved, rounded form factor. Best controller, uh, best controller of its time, hands down. Best controller of its time, and the first time that I played a PlayStation demo at a blockbuster video and held that controller and looked, I looked at it and said, "This is a Super yeah. Nintendo controller yeah. hand.
0: in my opinion." You could definitely definitely make a solid case for the PlayStation 2. PlayStation 2 was the best-selling console of all time, okay? And I understand that sales aren't everything. I get that. Sales aren't everything. But you've got games like Ratchet & Clank, Ratchet & Clank Going Commando. You've got Sly Cooper, Spyro the Dragon, Metal Gear Solid 2. I mean, there's so many amazing games that hit the PlayStation 2. And They were disc-based games. They had better capabilities for FMV, for sounds, for actual orchestral sounds. I mean, Final Fantasy X is probably one of the best games on the console, despite the story being a weaker Final Fantasy story. I still love Final Fantasy X. Um, I think it's a great, fantastic game. There's just some moments in it that I'm just kind of eh about. PlayStation 2, they really came into their own the nice sleek black looking controller you had the dual dual shock you know the analog stick it was a wired controller i get it but it had the l1 uh, you know it had the four buttons on the back you had your triangle x square and circle analog sticks and the d-pad right and it fits so comfortably in your hand and i will say that in my personal experience i have spent the most amount of hours gaming on the PlayStation 2. And, I mean, that's just in my opinion. And I say, you know, honestly, I if, if it's not number one, then it's definitely 1.5. It has to be. Because you really couldn't argue anything else, right? I mean, Xbox had Halo, and yeah, okay, we had multiplayer with Xbox and stuff like that. Okay, that was kind of fun. That was kind of cool. But... Man, I tell you, PlayStation 2 was where it was at, you know. And and you had games like Hot Shots Golf 4 that you had a server you could connect to. Final Fantasy Eleven that you could play online. Um, it, just so many different features that came with the PlayStation 2 that were, I don't know if they were necessarily ahead of its time, but they were definitely, definitely more cutting edge than what we were used to at the time. And honestly... You know, the Super Nintendo library is going to be one of the hardest libraries to beat. In fact, in my opinion, it's got the best sound system on any console of all time. Most of the games for the Super Nintendo had absolute downright bangers of soundtracks. I mean, to this day, I still listen to Donkey Kong Country music. I still listen to Mario World music. I still listen to Mega Man X music. I still listen to... I mean, just so many different games from the Super Nintendo, Star Fox, Corneria. Oh my gosh, that was a great song. But really, you had like things like Bullet Time with Max Payne in um, Max Payne and on PlayStation Two. I don't know. It's it's a very interesting argument, one way or the other. I I but I honestly believe.
1: Hey, 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 hey. Hey, Super Nintendo had bullet time. Okay. Gradius 3 okay, and okay. Contra I'm 3. Okay, okay, Matrix. They had bullet time. There were certain... You would get certain, certain parts of well, the level and everything is slowed down. Sprite
0: limitations. That's not bullet time. That's, that's bullet uh, time. Sprite limitations.
1: And also... Also... You could put more memory chips on the cartridge to make it bigger. You couldn't put more memory chips on a DVD-ROM.
0: No, you couldn't couldn't put more memory chips on there. But uh, already out of the gate, a a compact disc had more information storage space than um, a cart.
1: Yes, more storage space and long load times. And most of the data on those were just for their crappy, stupid games. Because the PlayStation 2 had, let's see, how many games were released for the PlayStation 2? Total number of games released in North America was 1,601 okay. games. In Europe, 2,952. And in Japan, 5,482 games. That comes from directly from Sony, by the way. How much of that library is shovelware? Okay, I could give you that. Like I can give of it you it that. Is shovelware. Some of the worst some of the worst games ever. They have these these terrible like third-party and they, these are licensed games. These terrible like European like fairy tale games that have these off-brand Snow White and stuff like that. This is the kind of nonsense they are putting out on the PS2. So it has this huge library. It's, it's, it's mostly shovelware. Now, 155 million PlayStation 2s were sold. 155 million. And that's a lot. That's a lot of PlayStation 2s that were sold. And how many <laughs> PS2s did you, you buy? You want like, the truth weird?
0: or do you want me to make something up? No, I'll tell you the truth. I bought three of them over the years.
1: You bought three of them. You bought three of them. So they sold the most units. But one guy had to buy three because yeah. they broke. The damn things broke. I—it's it's, it's getting harder and harder to find working ones these days because the damn things broke. The stupid ribbon cable that connected the disc tray to the power button, that would constantly break. I had a PS2 that broke. It's very sad. It's very sad that it broke. But I was definitely not alone. A lot of people had PS2s that broke. They broke. So... That fit, that one hundred and fifty-five million figure, as impressive as it sounds, is the result of a lot of people buying a new one after theirs broke. Not only that, but let's talk about you know, is the thing that sells the most necessarily the best thing? I mean, Taylor Swift is the number one selling singer in the world. Does that mean she is the
0: best singer? Hey. In the world? No, we all know it's Ariana Grande. I, Come like, on,
1: I, mean, I can't can't really debate that. So there you go. So. The Super Nintendo is the Ariana Grande of consoles. It's just so much better in every single way than the PS2, than everything. It's better than everything. The Super FX chip, man, we're talking about like 1994 with a cartridge system, a 16-bit cartridge system running hardware that was already kind of iffy on on being current. Nintendo were wizards, absolute wizards at taking like old, outdated hardware and making it work, the NES had like three generations old hardware when it was released. That's why everything looks awful by today's uh, standards. But Super Nintendo, they had the Super FX chip, where we were, where they were making three D games on a sixteen bit console in like the mid nineties. That's added, that's that's ridiculous. That is mind boggling.
0: You know, and that does. That does, you know, and again, like I said, trying to play devil's advocate here, but there is one point that I want to make that I think is important. They don't make PS2 minis. Like, they make the Super Nintendo Mini, the Nintendo Mini, and those things sold out so quickly. Which goes to, to, to show that the Super Nintendo still is incredible.
1: But you know what? I mean, part of that, part of that does have to do with the fact that for one thing, with such a large library and so many third party titles, it's probably really, really hard to like have a nice core group of titles with the Nintendo stuff. They can always fall back on that on those first party titles and everything else is kind of, you know, optional. It'd be cool if you could update those. That'd be awesome, but I digress. Um, And it's also really hard to emulate I mean, I know a lot of people aren't gonna to want to hear this, but when you when you buy like a like a mini Super Nintendo SNES Classic, whatever you want to call it, it's it's just a tiny mini computer that's running an emulator. It's not. It's 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 a, it's, it's a little it's a little computer that's running an emulator. It's not an actual Super Nintendo, and it's actually right. really really tricky to do that with PS2 because you have to have a very, a very fast processor, and to have a very fast processor in such a small package is very difficult to do. It's not enough room for yeah. the other components. It gets too hot. So I could see how, eventually, I mean, they did a PlayStation Mini, but it isn't very good because the emulator they chose to use is like the worst emulator on the market. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that one didn't really do very well. And and I think I think we all pretty much at this point know that most people just hack them anyway. <laughs> just hack the yeah, mini, hack the, hack, most hack, part. hack the mini consoles anyway. So, yeah, I think Super Nintendo... I mean, the Sega Genesis definitely gave it a run for its money for a while. The Genesis was really good with the processor because it was, like, a really super fast processor. It was, like, an 8 megabyte uh, yeah, eight megabyte processor, uh, which was way... No, 8 megahertz, rather, processor, which is way faster than, like, anything else on the market at the time. And they used, like, the Motorola chip, the old uh, X68K chip that, like, everything used. So they were able to do a lot, a lot of cool stuff, like at, like arcade friendly i guess you might say it's not really accurate accurate because the graphics were horrible but like very very good at arcade ports for the most part uh although yeah and the genesis graphics are are awful compared to the super nintendo like terrible
0: yeah the the um golden axe i remember playing on the genesis yeah. and i remember playing nice. at the pizza hut yeah. yeah, Golden Axe, I remember playing at the Pizza Hut down the road from my house when we went to cash in our bucket tickets and get our free personal pan pizzas. There you go.
1: Yeah, and, and that plays nice. Like, even even that, that horrible Mortal Kombat port that looks and sounds like absolute garbage plays pretty nice. I mean, it only has three colors and uh, half the animation frames are missing, but, you know, it, it plays pretty smooth. <laughs> and, you know, and of course you could, you could unlock the uh, original Fatalities, so that was nice. And the the Genesis did in the beginning, you know, it did beat the uh, Super Nintendo in the beginning uh, because the Super Nintendo's library wasn't that big. But after a little while, once the Super Nintendo library started really fleshing out, it just absolutely destroyed Genesis. Genesis uh, sold 31 million units, Uh, apparently up to four and a half million licensed units were sold as well for the Sega Genesis. Uh, so, like, okay. not actual Sega consoles, but like Genesis consoles in a different shell sold under a different name by a different company. Yeah, gotcha. but, but it was licensed. Licensed. Uh, yeah. So, so, so about th- about 35 million. And uh, the Super Nintendo sold uh, 49 million. So, that's pretty good. Pretty close. You know, pretty close there. But the Super Nintendo, definitely the better console. Uh, of course, Genesis has one of the best knockoff games ever made. One of the best knockoff games ever made is Streets of Rage, and Streets, Streets of, Rage of Rage was a Streets of Rage was a knockoff of Final Fight, uh, and they made a better game. <laughs> Sega made a better game by making a knockoff of Final Fight. It is a better game.
0: Absolutely, I would agree with you there, and um, you know, I was going to say too. I, thinking about the super nintendo uh a little bit you know one of my favorite games and i think this is a vastly untalked about underrated game was act Razor and act razor 2 those games were absolutely fantastic
1: i love Actra- i love act raiser
0: uh, fantastic they were hard man were they yeah fun.
1: Uh, well, ActRaiser. ActRaiser wasn't too hard. I mean, it was hard, like definitely, because you had the two different sequences, right? You had the simulation sequences, then you had the action sequences, and the simulation sequences were actually not hard at all once you figured out what to do. You just yeah. had to go around and shoot the monsters and and you know build the city, and that was really fun. But then the action parts could get like toward the end, especially got very very hard. And I do yeah. remember finishing that game, you know, back in the day on uh, you know on the Super Nintendo, but. Uh, act 2 was act Razor 2 is another beast man act raiser 2 maybe i i I would i would wager that act 2 is probably the most technical and like most complex 16-bit action game there's so many things you can do you can move your character and and attack in a number of different ways you have to be able to do all of it and the game is incredibly challenging if you don't know how to do all the stuff like you can do like a dive and you can uh, fly and you could do certain kinds of magic if you hold the right button. You know, the controls are very complicated. The character is capable of doing a tremendous number of different things. And the game is very, very, very hard. Uh, even like, I've, I've played that game with cheats and codes and stuff, I still can't beat it. I can't beat that game even if I cheat. That's how hard that game is. But if you, if you you if you put in the time, and you really like practice and learn all the different things the guy can do it is beatable but it's 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 a labor of love (laughs) to say the least it is a labor of love if you haven't played act Razor 2 i challenge everybody out there to play act Razor 2 i know these old games are expensive to buy emulators exist play act Razor 2 and try to get past the first level on normal difficulty I would I would bet a dollar that that like for like maybe one in ten people can do it on their first try, maybe one in ten.
0: Yeah, yeah, and well, I mean that's just like uh, Super Ghosts and Goblins. I mean that game was infamous for its difficulty, but it was brutally hard. It was after some practice you could do it, but man, I remember playing it the first time, and I might have made it like six feet and then six feet under because because i died so many times in that game and i i it speaks
1: to how good the game is it speaks to how good that game is that it was so hard and like me as a kid who had no patience for really hard games i got with a lot of hard work i got to like the the stage where you're inside the monster Okay. And you're like fighting its internal organs. Yeah. I got yep. that far. Okay. I think that's as far as I got on my own. Actually, you know I want to say I think I did get up to that first. You know, you know, you know the boss. Not not the last boss, but the door right before the last boss. I think I did get up to him on my own. Without, okay. Without without the stage select.
0: But that goes.
1: And then of course you have to play it again. Yep. From the beginning. From the and beginning. Get the bracelet and ugh.
0: Yeah. And that goes to goes to show, too, now that I think about it, I have to wonder, how many PlayStation 2 games were really brutally hard, like, to the point where you rage quit? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I feel like that was sort of like the generation of games that we played to experience the story. Yeah. I don't think there were really a lot of particularly hard games at that time. You know, it seems like the racing games were the most popular ones. I think that the Gran Turismo games were the most popular games, believe it or not. And then, like, GTA was really, really popular. And, like, Final Fantasy. Like, Final Fantasy games have always been... I know, like, some people say, oh, it's, you know, it's pretty hard, but they're actually pretty easy games. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's just a question of knowing, you know, what to do. Once you know what to do, they're all pretty easy. Um. Yeah, but and then yeah, like the GTA games, and then you know fighting games and stuff are only as hard as the person you're playing against. There are a lot of RPGs and like a lot of cinematic sort of adventure games, where there really wasn't that much difficulty. You look at like Devil May Cry, just a hack and slash, uh, a little bit of platforming, and some of the some of the fights you have to try a few times. I think the hardest PS2 game I ever played was probably Chaos Legion.
0: Really, really.
1: Yeah, that game's that game's kind of ridiculous. Oh, you know it's a really hard PS2 game, Shinobi.
0: Okay, I was gonna say Dante Must Die play it? mode.
1: Shinobi's in, so hard.
0: In uh, Devil May Cry three, that was a PS2 game. Oh my! And I, I mean, I put the practice in on the easier difficulties to to learn the combos, to do everything that you can do to get is, you know, get your button combinations right and everything like that. But I have never beat Dante Must Die mode on Devil May Cry 3.
1: You know, it's funny. I remember uh, I played a game recently called Guard, which is a PS2 game. Uh, and I remember distinctly playing that back in the day and like having no idea what to do. Okay. And then I like really easily got through the first like third of the game in like a couple hours so I don't even know what happened there. That's I don't I don't know. I just remember that game being like I don't know what to do in this game, and this I, I very easily figured it out for some reason. There were some cool games though, like some cooler like less lesser known games like Bujingai. I always like Bujin the Forsaken City. Have you ever played that? I have not. It's not a great game. It's just kind of like a standard 3D action platformer, but the character you play as is played by the Japanese singer Gackt. Okay. And I just thought that was so cool because I was going through a major weeb phase during that time and Malice Miser was like my favorite band and he was the singer from that band. So like, so that was that, 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 that tickled me. It was cool because we had a lot more, I think during that era, especially a lot more of like the Japanese stuff kind of coming over here,
0: which reminds me, did you ever get a chance to,
1: that's all over with, did you
0: ever get a chance to play the bouncer?
1: I did, you know, I played that recently and (laughs) <laughs> uh. <laughs> so that was square's first first ps2 game i don't know why they chose to to, to put that out i, I mean i don't want to say it's bad i don't because it is kind of fun it's a beat-em-up it's like a 3d beat-em-up you can switch characters um the biggest thing that stinks about that one is you can't play it on an emulator really because the uh the, the buttons are pressure sensitive and, uh, if you don't, and, like, like, if you press the button, like, they always do a heavy attack instead of a light attack. So, like, you're doing, like, jump spinning back kicks instead of, like, you know, punch. Right. <laughs> so that, that kind of stinks, you know. So that kind of stinks, you know. But, um, yeah, that, 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 that's, that, it's a game. It's certainly a game. <laughs> Whoa. I, I, but I, I assume you had something else you wanted to say about the game. He brought
0: about. Oh, well, no, actually, I actually kind of wanted to get your opinion on it because um, I remember playing it, but it's been so long since I've actually seen or even played that game that I can't remember too much about it. Except there was this really funny part with something to do with a dog and a, I can't remember. It was, it was. It was unique. It was very, very unique. I remember it I remember
1: it. I mean they tried to do beat em ups yeah. in 3D and no, oh, that's all I was going to
0: say is that yeah, I, I just it was
1: unique. Yeah. You know, they tried to do beat em ups in 3D and I just I don't think it, I don't think they ever really got it right. Like 3D beat em ups always kind of were always kind of crappy, right? Like there was the perfect weapon on PS1 which is like unplayable. It has tank controls. It's supposed to be a beat em up and has tank controls. There's that really bad crow game. Oh, that's kind of the same yeah. thing. Yeah, you know, with tank controls. Uh, there was fight like fighting force. Uh, I think I think the best like 3D beat beat up game I ever played was Gekido on the PlayStation. You ever play that?
0: I did not.
1: That was pretty good. Uh, uh that, that that's a fun two-player experience. But yeah, man, the, the 3D beat-em-up never really caught on, and we can see that now because like the best beat-em-ups now are when they go back to 2D and bring back, you know, like Streets of Rage 4 is an incredible game, an awesome game. I know, like River City Girls is real popular, you know, whenever they go back to that 2D style with the beat-em-ups, it always works out a lot better. So oh, that I'm telling you,
0: which I am, am going to say this now, when TMNT Shredder's Revenge comes out, I'm getting it for the Switch, and you absolutely have to get it for the Switch. Yeah. I don't care if I have oh. to buy it for you, but we are <laughs> definitely, definitely going to play that game together. I don't know if we're going to do anything special with it, but I definitely, definitely want to play that game with you um, just to, to relive some of those uh, Turtles and Time memories and some of the arcade game memory. Oh, man, I'm so excited for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's interest, you know, uh, then we could do something on Twitch or something like that.
0: Yeah, for you know, sure. we didn't
1: talk about it all. We didn't we didn't talk at all about the Xbox, you know, and I feel like we kind of. So I, I mentioned before a little bit like there during that time around like the PlayStation PS2 era, there's a lot more like the Japanese games coming over. And, you know, like anime was really popular. And I was I'm sure I was not the only one going through a big weeb phase at the time. And I think the Xbox kind of landed in a weird spot because the Xbox was from here. So it didn't really have a lot of those like Japanese third-party developers and it didn't really get a lot of the Japanese games. Um, And I think it kind of started, you know, the trend that we see now that that the number two console uh, was really focused on delivering Western titles. And by the time the next generation came around and, you know, we moved to, to the PS3 and the Xbox 360, I think we started seeing a lot more Western big titles and a lot fewer Japanese ones yeah and 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 like from what i understand today like the console gaming market in japan is like dying a slow and painful death video games in japan are like they they just play on their phones gotcha that's kind of that's kind of sad yeah so one more one more reason why the super nintendo is so great so many more cool japanese games that you can play today uh, and pretty much, like, I, you, you'd be amazed if you look at, like, the uh, all, like, the Japanese RPGs and stuff. You'd be amazed at how many of these games have had fan translations out there. It's out of this world. I can't believe it. Like, I, I started looking at it, uh, the NES too. I started looking at it, and the number of these J- Japan-only titles that have been fan translated is absolutely astonishing. Just about anything you could think of and want to play has been translated. It's out of this world
0: which is which is actually a really good thing and 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 honestly if we're going to talk about that we have, I would uh be remiss without that mich- uh, yeah, mentioning Nintendo Switches or Nintendo's live direct, where they announced things like um Triangle Strategy and uh, uh I can't remember
1: boring that,
0: yeah <laughs> no
1: Triangle Strategy so boring it's so yeah. boring
0: but no I meant I meant those those JRPG games that they're porting to the yes. switch for the first time ever as an official port. Yes. But I can't think of that. I'm,
1: I'm excited. I'm excited for front mission two. That's it. Front mission. front mission two. There, there is a fan translation of front mission two. I've never played it. Uh, there is a fan translation of the first front mission and that I have played and that is phenomenal. That's an excellent game front mission. I, I first experienced front mission on PlayStation with front mission three because that was localized here. But it was like not promoted at all, and I think the only reason I even knew it existed was because I had like a demo on a demo disc. Because I used to, I used to send away. You know, when you buy a game, and it would have that registration card that everyone would, th- would throw yep. away. I actually, yep. I would actually fill those out and send them in, and I would get demos in the mail all the time. Nice. So, and one of the, and one of those demos, yeah, I had Legend of the Legend, the Legend of Ligaia demo. I had the uh, the Front Mission three demo. I had a demo of a game called Threads of Fate, but anyway, but anyway, yeah, yeah. So uh, Front Mission three is an excellent, excellent game, and uh, Front Mission the first Front Mission is definitely you know a, a super downgraded version of that. But it's like you know it's like a turn based, you know, grid based strategy game. But instead of your typical you know swords and magic and all that, you have Avancers, which are basically like mech, you know, mechs. So it's like mech warrior, but you know, like turn based strategy version. Very, very good. Final Fantasy Tactics with giant robots, basically.
0: Which is as um, incredible, to say the least. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think we've come to a fairly good Oh, and conclusion. Live Alive. Oh, Live Alive, yeah. Yep.
1: Or Live Alive, um, or Live Alive, or Live Alive, or whatever. whatever That one. That one also.
0: <laughs> yep. Um, I think we've come to a fairly solid conclusion that uh, the Nintendo 64 is the greatest console of all time. I mean... Honestly, obviously, honestly. no, obviously, no. Uh, the Super Nintendo for, is
1: for four buttons to control the camera and also is, whatever and, else. Yep. You
0: know, um, and you know, honestly, the Super Nintendo I don't think it could be beat. I mean, I did the very best I could to present my case for PlayStation Two, and it was difficult. You guys, I, I'm going to be honest with you because you
1: blew it. You blew it by not knowing about the bullet time.
0: Yeah, uh, you know. But, uh, you know, I tried so hard to do my research on the PlayStation 2 while in my heart knowing that there's just no question about it. The Super Nintendo um, is the go, honestly. And uh, one thing Dan taught me today was that uh, most controllers are based off of that Super Nintendo controller. I did not know that. So we learn something new every day, I guess. But anyway, it's
1: it's just, it's just the perfect design.
0: It really was. It really was. So I wanted to thank you guys for joining us for the first episode of the console kingdom coming up next. We're going to go dive into our final fantasy retrospective. Great, great times to be had there. Um, The next episode will be focusing mainly on Final Fantasy through Final Fantasy VI, our thoughts and memories of those games. And then coming after that will be the PlayStation era. And as always, I want to thank you guys for joining us. I am your host, Jared.
1: I am your co-host, Dan. Thank you, lords, ladies, and loyal subjects of the console kingdom.
0: Fellow travelers and adventurers. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we hope to see you next time here in the console kingdom. Game on.